0: Jeremiah chapter 27, Jeremiah 27 verses 1 through 22. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from Yahweh. Thus Yahweh said to me, make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Zidon, by the hand of the envoys who have come from Jerusalem to Zedekiah, king of Judah. Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what you shall, uh, this is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm has, have made the earth with the men and the animals that are on the earth, and I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the beast of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him, and his son and his grandson, until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave." But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares Yahweh, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, or your sorcerers, who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the results that you will be removed far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But if any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, any, but any nation, I will leave it on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares Yahweh. To Zedekiah, king of Judah, I spoke in like manner. Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, and his people, and live? Why will you and your people die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, as Yahweh has spoken concerning any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. I have not sent them, declares Yahweh, but they are prophesying falsely in my name, with the result that I will drive you out, and you will perish, you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. Then I spoke to the priest and to all this people, saying, Thus says Yahweh, Do not listen to the words of your prophets who are prophesying to you, saying, Behold, the vessels of Yahweh's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. Do not listen to them. Serve the king of Babylon and live. Why should this city become a desolation? If they are prophets... And if the word of Yahweh is with them, then let them intercede with Yahweh of hosts, that the vessels that are left in the house of Yahweh and the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem may not go to Babylon. For thus says Yahweh of hosts concerning the pillars, the seed, the stands, and the rest of the vessels that are left in the city, which Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon did not take away when he took into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon Jeconiah the son of Jehoiakim king of Judah, and all the nobles of Judah and Jerusalem. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning the vessels that are left in the house of Yahweh and the house of the king of Judah and in Jerusalem, they shall be carried to Babylon and remain there until the day I visit them, declares Yahweh. Then I will bring them back and restore them to this place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, forgive us of the lies we want to believe, the lies we do believe, the lies we tell. Have mercy on us, Father, for so many who claim your name, the name of the true God, the God of Israel. The God of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who purchased the church with his own blood. Forgive us that so often. Your name is used to conceal that which is anti-Christ. Anti-truth. Anti-gospel. Forgive us how we have, for how we have been complicit in this. Forgive us that it does not aggravate us as it should. Forgive us whenever we who are Your salt and Your light, have kept our mouths shut and allowed the lies to pervade and spread. And so grant us grace, Father. May Your truth embolden us now. May we hate that which is contrary to Your truth. May we stand for righteousness. May we stand for Your Word. Send Your Spirit now and strengthen us in Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. Four times in our text, to three different audiences, Jeremiah commands them, do not listen. Jeremiah basically preaches the same sermon to three different groups. And there's some details that change, but the major thrust of each sermon has two points, two commands that come across. One... Bear the yoke to do not listen. Bear the yoke, do not listen. False prophets are everywhere. Now, as then, false prophets are everywhere. Of course, the pagans still have their prophets, their diviners, their dreamers, their fortune tellers, their sorcerers. But slicker names don't change the reality. Just as godless and often performing the same function are those who go by the names philosophers, professors, advisors, scientists, researchers. Now, profit in itself could be one could be a true prophet or a false prophet, the same way with all those offices. But changing the name from a non pagan idea, like fortune tellers, to advisors doesn't make them neutral. It doesn't make them uh, benign. Many are godless. Leaving all of that aside, leaving the pagans aside, false prophets and false teachers not only abound in pagan Moab and secular Edom, they are abundant in Judah, in Christendom, in the church. They are all over the radio. Extremely rare is the instance, whenever I hit scan on the radio, that I don't come across some Joel Osteen or lesser-known figure mangling, perverting, twisting, distorting the Word of God. They're all over television. Television is dominated, not just by false teachers, but by some of the very worst false teachers, from a T.D. Jakes who denies the Trinity to Joyce Meyer who not only on the very face of things is disqualified, but whose preaching has more in common with new thought philosophy, the idea that you can change reality by your thoughts and by your words than it does with anything we see in the Scriptures. They're all over the Christian bookstore walk into a Christian bookstore and the shelves are thick with a mixture of prosperity gospel, like I've just mentioned, or a kind of mystical, new age, experiential spirituality in the vein of Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, or the latest title to add to the heap of titles that view the church more along the lines of a business commercial model than as the people of God. Or to take that same line of thinking more personally, there's the self-help, therapeutic, narcissistic, motivational kind of stuff, such as Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. It's, it's filled. Or false teachers are, over, are, are all over politics as well. Donald Trump's spiritual advisor is Paula White who claims to be a prophet and says that Jesus' death and resurrection ensures health and wealth in this life. They are all over the Southern Baptist Convention and the Presbyterian Church in America. I don't say they dominate necessarily. I hope that's not the case. But it's not so hard to find them anymore amongst us. Be a mixture of all the kind of false teaching I mentioned already or... You see it in, in, I think, that it's present in the way compromise concerning gender roles, uh, sexuality, uh, empty philosophies like critical theory, the way those have infiltrated. They are everywhere, and so we need to be told just as emphatically, just as repeatedly, do not listen to them. Do not listen to them. Do not listen them, We need to be told, do not listen. Why do we need to be told that? Because, his other point, we don't want to bear the yoke. Why do we need to be told not to listen to them? The reason is, we don't want to bear the yoke. Because Yahweh's word comes to us with truth, justice, and light. And because our deeds are evil... We love the darkness and would rather believe a lie. So do not listen to them. Jeremiah's message, again, is one that we need to hear repeatedly and emphatically in Zion. This word comes during the reign of Zedekiah, the last reigning king of Judah, verse 1. Chapter 28 gives the more specific time stamp. This is the fourth year of the reign of Zedekiah. We learn also in our text that envoys from the surrounding nations, from Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, they're present, verse 3. Now, why are all these nations there? What's happening? Let's list everything that we do know. During the reign of Jehoiakim, some 11 years earlier, Jeremiah said that Nebuchadnezzar, would bring destruction to Judah and all the surrounding nations. Chapter 25, verses 9 through 11. And then, in the exact same order, 25, 21 through 22, specifically, Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, listed. Same order. This same same year, back to our current text, this same year, fourth year of Zedekiah, he makes a trip to Babylon. Chapter 51, verse 59. Jeremiah what's that about? we don't know, but it's just striking you start adding all these things up the same so that year he makes a trip to Babylon, and then we're told five years later, beginning at the ninth year of zedekiah 's reign, Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon, and so that Nebuchadnezzar lay siege to Jerusalem. In his ninth year, for it to fall in the eleventh year, 2 Kings 24-20. And then an extra biblical source, the Babylonian Chronicles, tells us that at this time, Nebuchadnezzar is facing a threat. It's unnamed, it's not specified, but there's this threat to his east. So Nebuchadnezzar is diverted by this threat to his east, and in the west, all these nations are gathering at Jerusalem. What's happening? Well, I think you'll see it solidified by the prophecies of the false prophets that are coming around. This is a coup. This is a rebellion. They're revolting against Babylon. That's the plan anyway. And so Yahweh gives Jeremiah a word for these foreign ambassadors. Verses 2-3. through And it's very likely, it's clear, Jeremiah has a craft project. But it's very likely Jeremiah has a craft project for these ambassadors. The word that you have translated word in verse 3 is supplied by the translators. So we see Jeremiah makes a yoke. He's wearing a yoke as he's commanded. The next chapter he's talking to Zedekiah. He has a yoke on his back. That's all clear. But he's told here to make yoke bars. Make yoke bars... And, and then wear the yoke bar. And then he's to, verse 3, the word word is supplied. He is to send to the king of Adam. So make straps and yoke bars, put them on your neck, send to the king of Edom. So what's the, what's the most natural understanding of what's being sent? Well, at this point, he's not been given any word to send. What he's been told to do is make yoke bars. Very likely this odd gift is given to these ambassadors that have come to Jerusalem. Here, here's a yoke bar. By one of our prophets. The new King James could very well translate the, the best intent of the text. Make yourselves yoke bonds and yokes, put them on your neck, and send them to the king of Edom, etc. So these envoys then return. With this odd gift and a message. Verse 4. Give them this charge for their masters. The gifts don't come with a card, but they do come with a message. Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel. That's the way it's to be presented. Give them this charge. Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel. God is commanding their kings. So imagine the awkwardness. As Jeremiah comes to these foreign ambassadors. That he, he's, he comes, at seemingly, this is the council he's actually seeming to come into. He comes into this council of inter, uh, international uh, ambassadors, and he starts handing out yokes and making this declaration. They're to return to their kingdoms, not just with word from Jerusalem and words from other nations. They're to return, not just a word from Jerusalem, but from Jerusalem's God. So, Yahweh's superiority, not only to their kings, but to their kingdoms, to their gods, is being stressed with this. Because it's Yahweh who made heaven and earth. The animals, man, He made all. This undercuts everything. And it's His plan, Yahweh's plan to give into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, his servant, all these lands. Just as they are right now vassals of Nebuchadnezzar, God is telling them, Nebuchadnezzar is my vassal. He's my servant. There's a peculiar detail that's brought out in this concerning the earth though. That he's the one who has made earth, And the animals that are on the earth. And then concerning Nebuchadnezzar his servant. He's given him also the beast of the field. To serve him. And so. It's not just Genesis. In general that's being recalled. God is creator. But something very specific from Genesis. That's being brought up by this. Genesis 1.26-28. God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. What might it involve being made in the image of God? The sovereign one who is declaring, and there is, who's Lord over all, maker of heaven and earth. What might that involve? Let us make man in our own image and let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. He's my servant. He's he's imaging forth, in a way, Yahweh's rule and dominion. We are all, every one of us, vassal kings entrusted with a bit of dirt. God is the landlord, and we are all steward farmers. We are all tenant farmers. You've got a bit of earth that you've been entrusted with, a bit of dominion, a sphere, a rule, a reign, and you're to return it back to your master, fruitful. And though Nebuchadnezzar here is, is allotted a big chunk of dirt, and he, he's a servant of Yahweh, he's not a willing servant. It's peculiar even though this one who is given dominion over the beast by Yahweh would himself become a beast to learn this lesson. The nations will serve him. They'll serve his son, evil Meredek, They'll serve his grandson, Belshazzar. But then their time would come and great kings, many nations, would make a slave of him. So what to see here? is that Yahweh is Lord. Babylon is His servant. He's giving these lands, and at His time, according to His schedule, His plan, Nebuchadnezzar will become a slave. This means that any nation, because this is God's sovereign plan, any nation that will not put their neck under the yoke of Babylon is not simply rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar, They're rebelling against Yahweh. The conclusion then is to not listen to the prophets, the diviners, the dreamers, the fortune tellers, the sorcerers who are telling them, verse 9, you will not serve Babylon. That is a lie that will result in certain destruction and they're being driven from their lands. But if they will bring their neck under the yoke of Babylon... They'll remain in their land to work it. Verse 11. Do you see the echo again of Genesis? If you obey, I will drive you out. If, if you disobey, I will drive you out. If you obey, you will stay in your land to work it. Why did God put Adam in the garden? To work it and keep it. This message of staying, and uh, of serving and staying, or rebelling and being removed is one that we've already heard Jeremiah preach. Preach in this very year. Chapter 21, 8-10, through 10, same year, fourth year of Zedekiah, he says to the people, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will set before you the way of life and the way of death. He who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans, here, puts their neck under the yoke of Babylon, who are besieging you, whoever does that shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. For I've set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares Yahweh. And it shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. The principle here that Jeremiah sets forth, that's brought up again in this instance, is foundational to Israel. Deuteronomy chapter 30, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh your God that, commi- that I commanded you today by loving Yahweh your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and statutes and rules, then you shall live and multiply and Yahweh your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving Yahweh your God, obeying His voice, holding fast to Him, for He is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that Yahweh gave to swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Man rebels, and he rebels on the promise of life and freedom. In that rebellion, in that sin, but instead of life, he finds death; instead of freedom, he finds bondage. And what the nations? Are being called to here, to some degree, is not simply to bear Nebuchadnezzar's yoke, but to bear Yahweh's. And to some degree, their promise that if they will do so, there's life, there's blessing, there's, there's a common grace element of the covenant that he's made with his people, the special grace covenant that he's made with his people that's mirrored here in relation to the nation's. The serpent is still whispering to the nations. He has many prophets, and they promise freedom, but they only deliver bondage. They promise life, but they only bring death. Submission and obedience to Yahweh may seem constricting, but it's liberating. If we are to follow Jesus, indeed, we must pick up our cross to follow Him, but He bids us die only to that which kills. Now, verses 12 through 15, our attention turns, or Jeremiah's attention turns to Zedekiah. Again, imagine the awkwardness as Jeremiah is addressing these foreign dignitaries, perhaps presenting them very likely with these yokes to take back to their kings, their masters. And with that, it's, it's very likely again that this Prophecies being delivered in the royal palace during this international council. The king is present as he's speaking to these ambassadors. That's very likely. So, if that's the case, it's not hard to imagine a red faced Zedekiah. At least, upon hearing the news of it, we have a red faced Zedekiah. And by all appearances, then the the foreign dignitaries are addressed first. And so now, Zedekiah is addressed. Lest Zedekiah have any delusions that Jeremiah is speaking out of, out of turn, that he's meddling, that he's interfering above, uh, above his pay grade, that he doesn't have any business, he doesn't have any authority speaking to these ambassadors who have come to him, Jeremiah turns to address Zedekiah directly. He singled out. What Yahweh has said stands true for any nation that will not serve Babylon, verse 13. Now, the conclusion of Jeremiah's message to Zedekiah is the same. Bear the yoke, do not listen. But the specifics are strikingly uh, dissimilar. With the pagan nations, we had a variety of sources for false teaching. Not just men who are designated as prophets, but sorcerers, fortune tellers, dreamers, diviners. Now we have only prophets. And they're not prophets of some false deity, though those are very likely in Jerusalem. These are not False prophets speaking in the name of some false god. These are false prophets speaking in the name of the true God. Verse 15. I have have not sent them, declares Yahweh, but they are prophesying falsely in my name. Their message is a lie. It brings about the exact opposite of what they declare. They are prophesying falsely in my name with the result that I will drive you out and you will perish you and the prophets who are prophesying to you. So know this. Poison is just as deadly under a different label. Slapping the name of Yahweh or the name of Jesus on a false prophecy doesn't when false teaching doesn't make it true. Speaking lies in the name of Jesus doesn't somehow uh, fix them just because you've, you put Jesus' name on it. Putting the label Christian on the world's product, cleaning it up some, doesn't make it beneficial. It doesn't even make it benign or neutral. Not everything Christian is Christian. Mardel is not a safe place. You need as much... Discernment and perhaps more when you go into that place with Christian, the umbrella of Christian hanging over it, because it's the medicine that has your name on it that you mistake as being good for you. You would never consider very likely picking up that product that's labeled Buddhism, paganism, humanism, but change the label, modify the language. Repackage it, and now you're curious. So let me give just one example, perhaps the most pernicious one that I could Christian music. Slapping the adjective Christian on the noun music doesn't make it Christian any more than slapping the adjective holy onto the noun demon makes them angels. What's the nature of the noun? When you see the label Christian, very often, it's nothing more than an attempt to conceal that which is poison. So, Bethel Church in Redding, California, is a cesspool of false teaching. From talk of angel dust falling from the ceiling on the congregants, to the practice of grave-soaking, Where they would visit the grave of someone who was thought to be powerful in the spirit. And soak up the dead's anointing. To prophets, apostles. Declaring fresh, greater revelation from God. And though their following is huge. I would venture that most evangelical Protestants go, Whenever they look at that mess. And yet, Bethel Music, directly connected to the church, their worship leaders, their pastors, has multiple albums at the top of the Christian charts, has won four GMA Devil Awards. Artists like Jeremy Riddell are part of Bethel Music. They lead worship in their churches. Reckless Love, Corey Asbury, yes, that's Bethel Music. They're not even trying to, to be really clever here. Bethel Church. Bethel music, or vineyard music, part of the vineyard movement. Same kind of teaching. They're pals, they 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 do things with one another. Phil Wickham's associated with Vineyard Music. Carrie Joby, Gateway Church, South Lake, Texas, preaches a slick and hip version of the prosperity gospel has ties with Bethel music as well if you're in question about Gateway Church just understand that Todd White has preached there that ought to be enough finally consider Hillsong United associated with again it's not hard Hillsong Church also prosperity gospel In addition to that, they've waffled on issues of gender and sexuality. They've caught enough pushback on that that they they recant. But nonetheless, too late. You played your cards. We see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to play the crowd, and it didn't work this time. So you recant. Now, I'm not aware of one song from any of these groups that outright, blatantly, explicitly, teaches their more heretical views. But the message of their music apes that of pop psychology, uh, self-help, humanism. It, it, It has its roots all in worldly philosophies and thinking. Such music is the bait that Satan uses to hide the hook. Many Protestants, I don't think many, most, that listen to the, their music, that use it in their worship gatherings, I don't think are in danger of becoming uh, charismatic, prosperity, gospel proponents. But what does happen, and I think it's clear has happened, is they become experiential, mystical, emotion-driven. They become, they, the, the same basic way of thinking infiltrates their minds without them owning the more Heretical views. Satan doesn't mind diluting a deadly poison, sweetening it up some, even adding some beneficial nutrients if he knows you can it'll get you to digest it because it's poison just the same. It's true, sometimes false prophets can speak truth. We we see that with Balaam. God sometimes used a false prophet to communicate his truth but those instances are very rare, and you're not supposed to seek them. Well, God can use a false prophet, so I'm going to listen to false prophets just in case God uses them to speak truth. It's not a good way to go about your spiritual diet. And how are you to know whenever God is using Balaam? Are you, going to be, are, you, are you going to claim to be a prophet yourself? You're the prophet that tells us when false prophets are being true prophets? Is that it? Let's test them according to the Word of God. Let's be good Bereans about this, right? I mean, we've done that with Horatio Spafford's It Is Well With My Soul, and he drifted off into heresy. So can't we use their music the same way we use that? Here's the thing with Spafford's It Is Well With My Soul is it does pass the test. And it was written probably before he went off into Looneyville on some theological issues. But whenever you hear, it is well with my soul, no one's going to some church associated with false teaching. No one's being drawn into a kind of music that's saturated with false teaching because of that. But you see that it's very different with Bethel music, with Hillsong. If nothing else than this, it's clear the aim is to attract, not by truth, but by an aesthetic. Not by faithfulness to the Word, but because of a genre that's shared. Not a shared theology, but a a shared kind of feel to the music. A shared emotion. So what should we do then? I think the implications of our text are very clear. Do not listen to them. Do not listen to them. Do not listen to them. If for no other reason than this, can you not see the kind of... It, it, it's, you may not hear anything explicitly heretical, but can't you see the self-absorption, the narcissism, the self-centeredness that permeates the music? It is full of lies that will drown you in the shallow pool of your own self-reflection. Do not listen to them. It is a lie that they are prophesying to you. The last audience that Jeremiah addresses, verses 16 through 24, consists of the priest and the people. The command is the same. Bear the yoke. Do not listen. But the message that the false prophets speak here is presented differently. So the message of the false prophets that was highlighted in regards to both the pagan kings and the king of Jerusalem was, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, verse 9. But their message now is one of restoration. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you, saying, verse 16, behold, the vessels of Yahweh's house will now shortly be brought back from Babylon. Babylon. So their message to the kings was one of peace. Their message now highlighted in reference to the people and the priest is one of restoration. I think it's peculiar that those would be the messages I think would be most attractive to each entity. What would be attractive to the kings? No war. Peace. What would be attractive to the priest and the people? A restoration of what has been lost. Temple worship. The assumption in this message to the people is not simply then that Babylon won't attack, but they will be defeated so that these vessels can return to Jerusalem. And the prophecy of Hananiah in the next chapter... Chapter 28, verse 11, supports this idea that the false prophets are not telling them simply that there there will be peace. Babylon won't attack us. They're telling them now, this coalition that's gathering, Babylon will be defeated. When Nebuchadnezzar came up against Jerusalem during Jehoiakim's reign... And took him captive, we're told, 2 Chronicles 36.7, he, that he carried away part of the vessels of Yahweh to Babylon. Part, during Jehoiakim's reign. And it's shortly after that, during his son Jeconiah's reign, also known as Kaniah, also known as Jehoiachin. It's during his reign, though, that a great many of the vessels were seized. And that's what's being focused on here, as verse 20 makes plain. 2 Kings 24 tells us that Nebuchadnezzar carried off all the treasures of the house of Yahweh. The treasures of the king's house. And cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of Yahweh. So Jehoiakim part, Jehoiachin all. And these are the vessels that the false prophets are promising will return. It is this message... Jeremiah is telling them not to listen to and instead serve the king of Babylon and live, verse 17. And Jeremiah then challenges these false prophets. He says, if what, you're, if what you say is true and you're a true prophet, if this is all true, then plead for, to Yahweh, not that these will come back, but plead that these are, that are still here won't go. Why is he saying that? Well, two reasons. One is because Yahweh's word is that those will come back. But before those come back, what's still here will go. So he's putting this test before them. It's the same test that's laid out in, in chapter 28 verse 9. As for the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that, the, that Yahweh has truly sent that prophet. The reason that they're told to intercede is because previously, when Nebuchadnezzar came, he took All the vessels associated with the temple that were made of gold. When he comes again, he'll take all those that are made of bronze. Previously, it was as if he came and took all the dinnerware. When he comes back, he's going to take all the appliances. Previously, he took all those vessels of gold, the smaller ones. Now he's going to come back and take, as it were, the furniture. The heavy pieces made of bronze. The vessels will indeed return, but first, those that are still here will be taken. And at Yahweh's time, He will bring them back. So notice this, the message of the false prophets ultimately is the same of the true prophets. The false prophets and the true prophets both alike speak salvation, salvation. But the difference is, one of them calls for the people to bear a yoke, and the other one makes them comfortable in their sin. The same stands today. The false prophets garner a hearing because it allows people to stay comfortable in their sin, and they don't want to bear the yoke. The pagan kings, the priests, the people, everyone here is commanded Do not listen to the false prophets. Priests and kings are born, but prophets had a special and direct commission and calling by God. Whenever the prophets or the priests or the kings were unfaithful to the covenant, the prophets were raised up by God to call the people to repent and come back to covenant obedience. But these prophets, he said, have not been sent by him. Verse 15. Yahweh made clear in chapter 23 that they speak visions from their own minds. They prophesy the lies of their own hearts. And their dreams are just that. They are their dreams. Nothing more. So, do not listen to them. 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 them. And we should always listen with discernment. We should always be good Bereans testing the teaching according to God's Word to see if it is so. But once you have discerned and you've identified, not that a guy is just off on his position in the millennium, or that he has a nuanced understanding, or he takes this secondary issue differently than you do. But once you've determined that he is fundamentally a false teacher... Do not listen to Him. There are some who are gifted to serve the church in the area of discernment and wisdom. They're shepherds most often, protecting the flock, identifying wolves. But for the sheep, studying the message of wolves is most often... An unfruitful habit and a dangerous one. Perhaps you're sharing the gospel and you learn that your friend, your neighbor, your family member believes some false teaching. And so because you want to help them, you listen to a message or two. Maybe you read a book by this false teacher. You brush up on your apologetic. But in this instance, you speak with your shepherd to get guidance. In this instance, though you may not be edified yourself, your aim is to edify. What I want to directly speak of concerning here that I think is plain for the text is that a sheer curiosity, an intellectual itch, A what if about someone that you know is a false teacher is never meant to be indulged in. Paul warned Timothy, not not the average layman, if you will. He warned Timothy. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Paul expands on this in his next letter to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself as one, uh, to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble. For it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are His. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. In chapters 26-27, through judgment is said to come upon the people because they do not listen. And now, Yahweh is telling them, do not listen to false teaching which denies that judgment. They've not listened to the truth, for that reason they are to be judged. And they shouldn't listen to lies that tell them they will not be. Know that even an itch to understand false teaching can so often lead to a deadly infection. If you're more curious about false teaching than you are zealous to obey true teaching, then the false teaching has already had an ill effect even if you don't endorse any of it. Any curiosity that distracts you from the truth is an unhealthy one. Why would we ever listen to false teachers? If you have any notion of the truth, you know the answer. And if it just completely dumbfounds you, then you've already bought into a serious lie. Why? Why, Why do they get such an audience? Why, Why are... We endanger so that we need repeated exhortations not to listen to them. Because we don't want to bear the yoke. This is why indulging sheer curiosity can be so potentially hazardous. Not every lie will be attractive to you. But there is something in every one of our hearts. There is something in every son of Adam that wants a lie to be truth. To excuse some sin or some behavior, some thought, some action. When the very air that we breathe is toxic, we don't need to add toxins to our diet as well. We need to take in truth. just because we have to breathe their air doesn't mean we need to dine at their table. But for those who are tired of the lies, you want truth. For those who want real freedom and not that empty notion of liberty that they promise. For those who have had enough of death labeled as life, Listen to the words of Christ. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. Coming to Him means, you must admit, you have not listened. And that because you have not listened, you are worthy of judgment. Of being exiled from His blessing and grace. Coming to Him means repenting of your sins. It means death to the old man. But the man who dies is the man of death. That which is repented of is only bondage and lies, poison. Come to Christ knowing He has already borne the weight of sin and its judgment for all who will trust in Him. Yes, He calls you to die, but He calls you to die to that which is death. And on the other side of that death there is life, life eternal. For all who would bear his yoke. Do not listen to the false prophets. Listen to the true prophet of God. Jesus Christ. The word incarnate. Who lived to be our righteousness. Died to bear away our sins. Rose conquering death. And will return to make all things new. Let's pray. Holy Father, you are the God of truth. You are light in you, there is no darkness. You are righteous and just in all your ways. You are Lord, you are sovereign over all creation. This world is filled with lies. Lies darkness. So Father give us a hunger. A ravenous hunger for your word and your truth. Give us humble hearts. That come under your yoke. The yoke of your son. Obedient hearts. Soft hearts. That hear. That listen. That obey. Give us wisdom and discernment. We thank You, Father, that You sanctify Your people by Your Word. Your Word is truth. We thank You that You preserve us, Father, so that we persevere. We thank You that the gates of hell will not prevail against Your church, which is the pillar and buttress of truth. Because you are good, you are faithful. Christ's name, amen.